Opinions expressed on ACB Media are those of the respective program contributors and do not necessarily reflect the views held by the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. Just a couple. Doug Powell and Kim Jorhek. I apologize for any pronunciation issues. A couple of phone numbers I do not know. Somebody called Ali, Andy, Anne McKay Bacon, Anne Martin, Belle Mills, Carol, Carol Moody, Chris Schumacher, Dawn, Debbie Downey, Anna Jess, Jonah, Kate Chamberlain, Kerry Smith, Larry, Lee Tucker, Nora, Patsy Harlan, Ronja Metzi, Scott Marshall, Charlene, Ted, Terry Turlow, Vicky London, and Vivian Younger. So I don't want to use a long introduction, but I was trying to think of how I could introduce Lori Sharp. And what came to me was there used to, the current cabinet department of the United States Department of Health and Human Services used to be called the Department of Health, Education, and Welfare. So Lori Sharp could be this organization's cabinet secretary of Department of Health, Education, and Welfare, because she knows so much about all these topics in the, in the blindness space. So I think with that, I'm just going to turn it over for what I know will be a very um, educational and informative next hour to Lori Sharp. Lori? Thank you. Thank you, Jeff. And um, I want to start off by saying that I don't consider myself necessarily a Medicare expert. It is something I have learned a lot about as the result of advocacy work and working on issues with people who are returning to work um, and things like that. So I... um, I will um, be going over a couple of different things. I'm going to just say I am a certified work incentive practitioner. Now, don't think I think all of you Alliance on Aging and Vision Loss people want to go back to work. But um, there are, you know, people that are returning to work and on Medicare. And I've learned a lot through an organization called the Medicare Rights Center which is a national organization. They do fabulous trainings um, and they also assist people throughout the country. So I am a certified work incentive practitioner and I work, I have a business called Access to Employment and Information. So I will start off by giving uh, my phone number. So if people have questions, they can give me a call. It's 540-471-8113. And my email address is my first and last name at gmail.com, which is L-O-R-I-S as in Sam, C-H-A-R, F as in Frank, F as in Frank at gmail.com. I'm going to give you a brief overview of Medicare um, and then talk a little about um, what I call the alphabet of Medicare and also discuss Medicare savings programs and some resources. I also will share this information with anybody who would like it in a more uh, written out format. Um, So Medicare is um, 
a health insurance program, and it's a, basically a group of programs because it's not just one that provides health coverage as well as health insurance and drug coverage to people throughout the United States. Um, and who administers Medicare is the Center for uh Medicare and Medicaid services. And I know that confuses people because you have Medicare and Medicaid in the name. Um, but basically, it, it kind of has to do with the way it's structured. Um, and I will give the phone number for that because that's one of the questions I get a lot. Like, how do I get a hold of Medicare? Um, so Medicare is guided by a bunch of rules and those rules are set by the federal government, but there are also rules that are set by the local states. So there will be differences depending on what state you're in on some things, which is confusing because people don't think of Medicare as a state program, but it certainly is. Um, and there's different aspects to that. I just want to move my wire because I don't know if you guys can hear it, but when I move my arms to look at my braille, I can hear the wire move. Okay. So the alphabet of Medicare. Medicare is, they have different sections to Medicare and Medicare part A is hospital coverage. Well, hospital coverage is kind of self-explanatory. It covers inpatient services it covers skilled nursing facilities. It covers nursing home care. But that nurse, the caveat to this is that the, the care cannot be long term and it can't be custodial in nature. So somebody may go from a hospital to a rehab facility or from a hospital to a nursing home for a short stay before returning to the community. And that could be covered by Medicare, not necessarily Medicaid. They also cover hospice care. That hospice care does not have to be in, in, a, in an institutional setting. So it doesn't have to be in an inpatient hospice program. It can be provided in the community. And I will let people know one of the things that sometimes happens with people, and I used to see this a lot, when I worked in New York, sometimes people would sign up for a for-profit hospice as opposed to a nonprofit hospice. And the for-profit hospice does not take the Medicare daily rate in full. So let's just say, for example, Medicare pays $850. I don't know what the rate is for 2022. But that, say, a for-profit hospice is going to charge you for each service that you get. So somebody needs medication, somebody needs something else, and like um, bandages, um, you know, a bed, all of those things, a nonprofit hospice financially usually works out better for you than a for-profit hospice. Um, because what they do is they bill Medicare a daily rate. They don't bill per service per se. Um, okay. And also home care is covered. And home care 
what that means is basically after you are hospitalized, I have seen some rare occasions, and it's, I think, becoming a little more common that um, some preventative home care can be done to keep people out of the hospital. Um, so that that is a brief overview of Medicare Part A. Medicare Part B is um, also known as uh, health insurance or medical insurance, and it covers doctor's visits, lab fees, outpatient services, and medical supplies that you might need in the home. That's where those services would be covered. For Medicare Part B, as in boy, there are premiums that you pay. Um, and then you also have a um, out-of-pocket expense. And your out-of-pocket expense, Medicare would pay 80%, and you as an individual would be responsible for the additional 20%. Additionally, it is becoming more and more common for doctors to bill a facility fee. And sometimes this can be as little as a few dollars, or I've seen it as much as $50. And that's kind of like you're paying for renting the time in their office. It's kind of scary, but it's something they can get away with. It seems like it's done more in hospital based outpatient services. Um, so that that is also something to be aware of. So you might have your your payment that you pay the doctor and then that additional facility payment. Medicare Part D, as in drug coverage, covers prescription coverage. And there is also a premium, um, sorry, a, um, a monthly, yes, a monthly premium for that. And that can vary depending on what type of plan you choose. It is important to look at your Part D coverage every year because the formularies, the medications that a Part D provider can cover changes year to year. Medicare Part A, B as in boy, and D as in dog collectively are also known as original Medicare. Um, and those, those programs, like I said, are, are original Medicare. We also have, um, it, I'm sorry, with those, you have a, um, a monthly copay that, that you pay for the Part B and Part D. You also have um, those are set based on your annual income two years prior to when you became eligible for Medicare. So they look at your, um, your um, modified adjusted gross income, and they calculate based on that your income-related adjustment or your IRMAA. And that is what, how Medicare comes up with what they will be charging you as your monthly premium. So sometimes um, if people have Social Security retirement plus a pension, they're going to be paying a higher rate than somebody that just may have 
social security retirement. I am speaking in this situation in more general terms, um, both because I referenced the state state variations and also because I'm not really looking at Medicare as it relates to people on social security disability insurance right now. So I just want to say that, but um, if people have questions based on social security disability, I can certainly answer those. I don't want to waste people's time today based on our audience. Medicare Part C as in CAT, it's also called an Advantage Plan, and you probably see commercials for these on TV. Some of them are somewhat entertaining, and some of them you groan when the beginning of the commercial comes. And this can be an HMO or like a health maintenance organization where you have in-network and out-of-network providers or a PPO, a preferred provider option. This is similar to Medicare in this original Medicare in the sense that it's giving you hospital coverage, health insurance, and in some cases, drug coverage. Your premiums for these are going to depend on what type of coverage you receive. It's also going to be based on your residential zip code. So you may tell your friend Mary, who lives three towns away from you, or even two towns away from you about a great insurance plan that you enrolled in, it might not be eligible to her based on her zip code because for a Part C provider, you have to be within a certain radius to serve individuals. And to do business within that zip code, you have to have so many providers in different, I'm going to call them core health areas. So you have to have general practitioners, you have to have cardiologists, you have to have oncologists. So if you can only provide, say, two of those services, you're not going to really be able to cover that zip code. And it could be, you know, you live within the zip code and your friend Mary doesn't. So there can be differences even within a short, short distance um, as to what type of coverage somebody can get. Um, so I don't, Jeff, do you want to take like any basic questions right now before I go into like initial enrollment and things like that? Let us take a, a few questions on what Lori has gone over so far. So do we have any questions first? Let's do uh, Zoom land first. Any questions over in, in Zoom hand? Go ahead, Ann. Hi, this is Ann. I know every other day I get a phone call from an organization saying, oh, we can help benefit you and change your insurance. And, you know, I, and I'm thinking, well, who are these people? And when I ask them, you know, who pays for this, they say, oh, you don't have to worry about that. And I'm thinking, okay, this sounds like a scam to me. I'm not going to do this. So are companies open to just call you up and start soliciting your Yeah, insurance? you, your information is known to... Um, a lot of the providers, there's, you know, they can access information showing that somebody is on original Medicare or Medicare, original Medicare and Medicaid. Um, and they certainly have the ability to solicit. Yes. And that's what can be scary and disconcerting. And, um, and you also have to be careful because there are enrollment periods. I will talk about that next. 
and you don't want to enroll outside of enroll outside of an enrollment period because you could pay a penalty. Go ahead, Ted. The question I have actually was, um, and I was going to ask this later, but I think this is a good time to ask it now. You mentioned that sometimes doctors, especially doctors who are out in, in the hospital, um, will pay, um, will, re- will request additional fees um, from you individually. My, my question is, I seem to recall that earlier this year, the uh, Congress did pass a law limiting those fees. Do you know anything about that and, and what that amounts to? I'm not exactly sure what you're referencing, but there was a law passed um, that focused more on like emergency providers and out of network. Um, like, so if you go to an emergency room and the emergency room takes your coverage, but the doctor doesn't, you, there's a bunch of guidelines that are, um, you know, that have to be followed. Um, I, but I don't know. And then there, I can tell you that in some states, there are also more specific guidelines in those areas. This is Ann Brash. I have a question. I'm on uh, both Medicare now and the government's um, Blue Cross Blue Shield uh, retirement program. And I'm trying to figure out, is Medicare the one that sets the price and then Blue Cross pays the rest? Because it seems like my doctors are getting paid less than they did when I was working and just Blue Cross was paying? Well, Medicare sets their rates and I'd have to check, but it could be that now your the government insurance become, meaning your employee-based insurance becomes your secondary and they pick up what Medicare does not cover. So yes, I, I would say they're the ones that set the rates, yeah. And, and you typically will find that what a doctor or what is typically paid by Medicare is less than a private carrier or probably even some of the federal plans. Any other questions? Raise your hand. I don't quite understand the zip code thing. Um, you said that now like I live in Canton and it's divided up into a lot of different zip codes. And the section I live is, is doesn't have any doctors in it at all but they're but all the medical is up in the north part of canton we we got one doctor in the next to us out seven but i'm out six we got nothing and i so it how does that zip code thing work when you're in a large large community a large city the city's divided up and your your section zip code might have none of the doctors and all this Right. It's available in the zip code on the other side of town. Yeah, it's it's not where the doctors are located. It's based on your residential zip code. And there's a certain radius that you have to be within so that the um, for the insurance provider to do coverage in that area. And that was for the Part C provider, not not for original Medicare. Any other questions? Can you just repeat your last name and contact information, please? I can do that at the end. Is there a question in the back corner? Lori, thank you. Because people have a choice between original Medicare and managed care, could you say a few words about the differences in coverage, that is the differences in benefits 
that people might expect uh, as between original and managed care and how and where that would come to pass? Sure. Um, so I, yeah, I do have that later on, but I can, since you raised the question, I will just briefly, briefly say now that part C providers, um, very often cover other services that you may wish to have, such as dental coverage, uh, Medicare part B as in boy does not cover dental coverage. They also, a lot of times part C providers will have um, hearing aid coverage. Very often they'll do transportation uh, on a limited basis to and from a, a doctor or say you get, you know, 15 trips a year or whatever it is. Um, some of the providers, if you have to go to the pharmacy and get a prescription, will allow you one per year or two per year to get coverage to go pick something up at the pharmacy. Um, and so uh, Medicare does, original Medicare does not have prescription, uh, I'm sorry, does not have audiology coverage uh, for hearing aids. It does not have dental coverage. Also, um, vision coverage, I wasn't going to use that as an example, because when the vision coverage goes past a certain point, it really, it's, it's not for, it's not for low vision people. <laughs> um, you know, they're going to cover glasses, but it's going to be minimal. And it's, it's not going to be like a, a video magnifier fire or something like that. Okay, Marilyn Pifo from Westville, Ohio. I want to address one question. You said the premium is based on your last two years or two one year before you retired. Yet when you have income after retirement sporadically, then your premium almost triples. Say if you get a windfall, say selling something, and it nearly doubles your AGI, then the premium more than triples. Is that typical? Pretty much, I would say in general terms, yes, there is an appeals process for that. Um, so that is something to keep in mind is, is that you can appeal your uh, premium. Where can we go to get this information? Because we get a booklet that's like 50 pages, all in small print. They give you choices A through G. And you're supposed to figure out what your medical situation is going to be. Who, okay. who knows, so who I'm knows gonna, what? I'm just going to cut you off because I'm going to talk about that a little later about options to get help with sorting all of this out. Let's let Lori go back to her remarks. Thank you for all the great questions. Okay, Lori. I do also want to say based on, on the small print conversation is um, Medicare does offer documents in alternative format specifically Braille and large print. Um, their website, which is medicare.gov, is also pretty user-friendly. There's a lot of information um, on that website that is very good. I will tell you, I had a coworker who went to a training once and she came back with this big box of Braille for me and she told me it was a book. Well, it was the same volume of like four volumes. <laughs> And somebody who gave her the book who wanted to get rid of it from the county just thought they were cleaning their office out. But I said, well, it does me no good. It's volume three, four volumes of volume three. Um, but yes. So, okay. So 
enrollment, everybody knows what, you know, you have employer enrollment for health coverage. The same thing happens with Medicare. And there's your initial enrollment period when you first become eligible for Medicare. And you can join original Medicare or an Advantage plan. If you enroll in a Medicare Advantage plan during your initial enrollment period, you can still change to another Medicare Advantage plan or or onto original Medicare um, within the first 90 days. So if you join an Advantage plan and you say, this, this isn't what I expected or something along those lines, you know, they promised me X and gave me Y, you can change and there is no penalty. Um, So that is something to be mindful of. The eligibility for uh, Medicare when you become 65 is something that I frequently get questions about. If you are still working, you don't necessarily have to sign up for Medicare, but I would definitely work with your employer um, and find out some employee-based programs do like do require that you enroll in Medicare um, as additional coverage, um, and that way Medicare becomes your primary, and then your employer-based coverage becomes your secondary. So when you become eligible for Medicare at 65, three months before you turn 65, your coverage your open enrollment period begins until three months after you turn 65. So it's a total of seven months because you the, the month that you turn 65, they kind of don't count that month. So if you were going to turn 65 in April, January 1 through March 31, okay. You would that would be the beginning of your initial enrollment period, the month that you turned 65, so in April, and then the three months after. So that would carry you through the um, through the end of July, and your coverage would actually begin if you file before you turn 65. It would begin the month on April 1st. If you file after you turn 65, the coverage um, would begin the month that you filed. So say in June, you said, you know what, maybe I better enroll in this. So your coverage date would become June 1st, and it would not be retroactive back to April 1st when you initially turned 65. And there are no penalties at that point if you... um, you know, if you enroll during that period. Before I mentioned that if you have employer coverage, it is important to remember that if you're going to have employer coverage and then eventually transfer to um, social, to uh, Medicare, you should always have the letter showing that you, that you get for your taxes that says you had qualifying coverage because Medicare would need to see that to show that you didn't have any coverage gaps. So premiums are uh, monthly amounts that you pay monthly, and those can vary um, both for part B as in boy and D as in dog or 
Part C coverage. You can have a monthly premium as well for your Part C coverage. An annual deductible is an amount that you have to pay out of pocket before you start receiving coverage of services. And that does not include, well, um, an annual physical. It does not include well care, such as like a bone density, things like that. Um, I will tell you, though, um, if you are a person with a disability and you go for a bone density and you may wind up having to pay um, pay a, a copay for that um, because sometimes it can be hard to get it covered if they really don't think it's medically uh, necessary. The um, open enrollment period for coverage starts October 15th and ends December 7th for coverage that will then go into effect January 1 of the following year. In addition to that, there is what's called the Medicare um, Advantage open enrollment period, and that begins in January and ends in March. During these periods, you can change from original Medicare to a Medicare Advantage plan. You can change from a Medicare Advantage plan back to original Medicare. You can switch from one Medicare Advantage plan to another plan. You can also um, switch from a Medicare, uh, I said that, I'm sorry, a Medicare Advantage plan to original Medicare. And you can also change your drug coverage. Um, so it is important to think if you're going to look at a Medicare um, Part C, you are, you should really look at that on an annual basis and not just assume your coverage is going to be, be the same year after year because they make changes and those changes are not always in your best interest. Uh, the same thing is true for the prescription drug coverage. And during the Medicare Advantage enroll in extended enrollment period, you can also um, change if you if your Medicare Part C plan does not have drug coverage, you can change your your coverage at that point. So that's important to remember and important to find out. So choosing a Medicare Part C provider, this was uh, mentioned before. And there are organizations out there. Again, you probably see commercials on TV, you get stuff in the mail from them. There are also companies that are national providers um, that basically are like a conglomerate that this is all they do. You need to keep in mind when choosing a Part C provider, do you have, are you a snowbird? Do you have two places that you live? Are you going to have coverage in both of those cities? Because unlike regular Medicare, it's not all over the country. So if you have United Healthcare in New York and you go to Florida, for the winter, you may not have access to that program in Florida. So what do you do if you get sick? What if you need to go to the hospital? What happens then? Maybe you'd be better with Humana. Um, but these are all things that when you met with an enroller, you can find. Every state has a state health insurance 
uh, program or SHIP program, and those enrollers can assist you. Some of those enrollers also may work for an actual insurance company. I personally, my personal view is to avoid somebody that works for a specific company. Well, why you might say, because do you think they're really going to push Cigna if they work for United Health, even that it's in your best interest to have Cigna? I don't know about that. They get paid to enroll people. So they just want your business. So I tell people, try to avoid providers that work for a specific insurance company. And that might not be possible depending on where you live. The Medicare Rights Center that I mentioned earlier, they can certainly assist you with these types of things. Um, they can help you sign up. Um, there are other companies that, you know, um, work with outreaching to seniors. Your local office for the aging can probably give you a list of providers in your area. Um, so that you know, is somewhere else that you can look. You should not be paying somebody to help you find a Medicare provider. Don't ever do that. There's no need for that. Um, there also is another type of plan, which is a Medigap policy. You also see these on TV. It's also called a Medicare supplement program. And this is available to pay something and I'm going to say something because there's no nothing set in stone. You pay a monthly premium, so you're going to you're going to pay part B as in boy, part D as in drug, and then you would also pay a, a, for a Medigap policy. And these premiums can be rather steep. Again, these are going to depend on what state you're in, as well as some other factors. Um, and these plans have all different letters and depending on the letter depends on what they cover and what the federal government says they have to cover. Sometimes you could be paying four or $500 a month and they're only going to pay 10% of the 20% that you are left with. So you really have to look at the finances behind that and think, is that something you really want? I have a friend in New York right now whose mom is in rehab and her Medigap policy covers up to 120 days in rehab. Well, she's 93 years old and fell and broke her femur. She's not going to just get out of rehab in a week or two. It's not going to happen. So she has the ability through this Medigap policy to have coverage for 120 days in rehab. So that is really nice because it's really something that you don't have to worry about. Um, you know, it's something she's paid into for all these years and now she's finally getting to use it. Um, you know, not necessarily a situation that you want to be using it in, but it's a situation where it's there because you do need it. I have a note here to say it is important to remember that whether you have a Part C provider or original Medicare, as well as a Medigap policy, you always have a right to an appeal. And I think sometimes people get into medical situations 
and the bills are mounting and their health isn't good and they feel lousy and they forget that they can appeal. You can even appeal your drug coverage if a medication is not on your formulary and you'd have to work very closely with your doctor and all that type of thing. It's not always going to work, but it will sometimes work. The next savings programs are um, basically programs that can assist in paying Medicare premiums. There are different levels and there is asset limits in in both savings and monthly income. There are asset limits, monthly asset limits, as well as um, asset limits to what can what somebody can have in financial resources. So there, um, there's a qualified uh, Medicare beneficiary or a QMB, and the uh, gross income limit for that is 100% federal poverty level, and then. Uh, in addition to that, um, a $20 disregard. And so for most states, not all, some states are higher. It's the cutoff is $1,153 for individuals. And for couples, it's $1,546 for couples. And the asset limit is for an individual is $8,400. And for a couple, it's $12,600. You also have the uh, specified low income Medicare beneficiary, and that has a gross gross monthly income of 120% federal poverty level or $1,379 for an individual and $1,851 for a couple with a combined asset limit of either $840 or for an individual or 12,600 for a couple. And then we finally, we have a qualified um, individual with a gross monthly income of 135% federal poverty level. And the um, amount for that is for an individual is $1,549. And for a couple is $2,080 with an asset limit, again, of 8400 for an individual or 12600 for a couple. The Quimby and will cover, in addition to your uh, Medicare premium, they also will cover co-pays and co-insurance and your annual deductible. So, um, and with a Slimby, the, the specified low-income Medicare beneficiary, they will cover your uh, monthly premium. And some of that also, they will also cover um, your uh, co-pays. And the the QI program, the qualified individual, that has a lot of state variation to it. And if your income is slightly above that, I would still consider applying, even if you don't necessarily think that you might be eligible. If you are doing some part-time work, I would certainly apply because you may qualify, um, you know, for some other state programs as a qualified uh, person with a disability. So you want to always try to look at things that are going to be helpful for you to help you financially um, in those situations. 
So my resources that I'd like to share is, and Jeff, I can send you this um, so that it goes with the show notes um, with when they podcast the resources, and you can also share it with um, with the people in attendance. So the I said before, the Medicare Rights Center, their phone number is 800-MEDICARE, 800-MEDICARE, and the Medicare.gov website. And then um, we do have the Medicare Rights Center, again, which is a national organization. And they do work with individuals across the country. They have great resources. Their website is not the easiest to use as a screen reader user, but it can be done. And they're really good if you call them up and say, like, you know, I'm having trouble figuring this out based on what I'm, I'm looking at. Um, you know, they will definitely help you with things. They do have both paid and volunteer trained staff. And they're, they do very extensive training. And their number, their website is medicarerights.org. And their phone number is 800 333 4114. I also want to remind people, sometimes I think the elderly pharmaceutical insurance programs are underutilized. And that's a subsidy that sometimes can be used for medication assistance. And then there is a website that used to be much more screen reader friendly. And it's called needymeds.org. That's N-E-E-D-Y, meds, M as in Mary, E, D as in dog, S as in Sam, .org. And they list all the patient assistance programs. And they'll tell you basically like if you have Medicare Part D coverage and your medication isn't covered, will they, you know, what, what, what are their restrictions on covering it, things like that. The other thing to remember when working with a pharmaceutical, uh, with regards to your pharmaceuticals, is that if you have a prescription that can be written in a 90-day supply, not all medications can, sometimes the first time you're prescribed a medication, they won't write it in a 90-day supply because they want to make sure you can tolerate it. But after that, it might be able to be changed to a 90-day supply. By doing that, you may be paying less in um, a copay for your coverage. So those are just some hints in those areas. And I guess I will give my information again. It's Lori, L-O-R-I, Sharf, S is in Sam, C, H is in Harry, A-R, F is in Frank, F is in Frank. And to make my email address, you just add at gmail.com. And my phone number is 540-471-8113. And it says access to employment and information because that's what my company is. So we can open it up again for questions. This time we'll start with the room and then go to Zoom. Fabulous. So. That way I can know who's in the room because I know who's on Zoom. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hi, everyone. This is uh, Troy again from Ira. So I want to just briefly cover what Ira does with Medicare in case you don't know, I came to this talk and I looked up how many sessions uh, individuals have used IRA for with Medicare, and I was overwhelmed. There's like over a thousand sessions where agents mentioned Medicare. And then wow. I looked at, 
right? And I looked at all the use cases. So it's reading Medicare brochures, it's reading email, reading handwritten statements, going onto websites. I mean, the list goes on. So clearly, this is a resource that some people are finding value in. I would remind everyone that we are not experts in Medicare, but what we're experts in as in reading. And some something some people don't know is that a lot of the interaction with agents is often sharing files. So you can email your agent some, some information. Of course, what you choose to share with IRA is up to you. Um, we're trained to be secure and private and everything you share with an agent is private. Yet, I can just tell you there's a lot of um, information going back and forth. And then finally, it's a small plug, but today we're announcing the launch of our desktop beta. So what that means as an individual, you can now use IRA on your computer. You don't need to pick up your phone. I'm hearing some clapping, yay. And we're also adding the ability to send and receive files. So you don't even need to use email. You can just upload those files directly to the agent and they can, uh, they can send those files right back to you. So we're trying to make all those use cases easier, but I know that uh, anything medical, anything complex with paperwork is someplace where a lot of folks find value in working with an IRA agent, and we hope to make it even better and easier. Thank you for letting us know that, Troy. And I have to say, I'm probably the ones that called up and used the word Medicare a few times. <laughs> Hi, this is Deb Verstey, Glory. Um, I had a pharmacy uh, drug that was going to be several hundred dollars a month extra. Uh-huh. Um, so it was like a tier three or tier five? Yeah, and it, and it, it just wasn't going to be feasible. And I couldn't han- handle the ones that were similar to it. Mm-hmm. So um, I had my pharmacist look on your website that you were talking about and we uh, addressed the company and asked them if they had any scholarship programs, which they did. And um, it ended up after one week um, and after just filling out a small application, I got a year's free drugs. Yes. Yeah. And I mean, it's, it's very doable. It's, and it, it really depends on your pharmacist and your doctor and, I mean, there are lots and lots of resources out there to help with things. Um, you know, we didn't even cover the the don't the the donut hole, which I always thought was the silliest name to call it. Um, you know, it it there's gaps in in coverage, and there's high costs associated with medications. Um, so it it definitely is is something that can be worked through. I do also want to say that. Um, some of the Part C providers also have, and I didn't mention this before, have in, I kind of see it almost as an incentive. So if you have over-the-counter medications that you're on, or maybe you have, you know, some type of medical need that you use something on an ongoing basis, maybe bandages or tape, um, you know, those type of things, um, where they'll cover over-the-counter stuff. Um, and sometimes it's a monthly limit and sometimes it's a per quarter. So, um, for example, it might be $80 a quarter, but you, you say, well, what's, you know, if it's going to cost me six, $80 a quarter for this, it's nothing. But really it adds up and every penny that you use that's free money is yours. Hi, Lori. Um, this is Tyler. And 
I wanted to ask you a question here because this is something that's been on my mind for a while. So, okay, so in my situation, I'm I'm uh, getting the Medicare, you know, pre sixty five mm-hmm. uh, due to the you know the disability, and I have I I still work. I have a but I have a visual impairment, hearing impairment, and a seizure disorder. Mm-hmm. And uh, right now, my uh, parents' insurance. Uh, for one of the drugs that I have is paying $37,000 a month Mm -hmm. for this drug. And everybody says, Oh yeah, take the Medicare route. So we go that route. And uh, right now we have a, I got a copay assistance card with, with their insurance for, uh, you know, to bring the cost down to $10 a a month. Mm -hmm. But the question that I have is we, we, I've been advocating for, the copay assistance cards and whatever else. And everybody says, Oh, well, you, we can't help you there, Tyler, because this isn't commercial insurance. This is government run insurance. So what, what is there? And this is my biggest frustration. What is the, our options for um, my situation? Because of the fact, like all the Medicare Advantage plans, all those are, you know, minimum copay is four grand. Yeah. And you can't uh, afford that. So, so far, the, the research that I have done, we've, uh, the best thing I can find out is to order it out of Canada. This is kind of what's frustrating. So the Advantage plans, um, there are also um, copay assistance plans. You have to frequently ask to be enrolled in them. So it's just finding out who needs to be connected with. So there may be copay assistance and they just don't know about it. That's what's frustrating about all this. It's just getting to the right people that are going to be able to answer your questions. Um, but some of the um, drug manufacturers, the Needy Meds website that I told you about, they're pretty good at keeping that up to date and uh, letting you know about, you know, when things change and what changes with the copay assistance plans. Um, the other thing is, is that people should know if you are on some type of injectable, I've had this happen with clients if it's something that can be self-administered, sometimes if you're allowed to self-administer as opposed to administering at the doctor's office, that can save you money as well. Um, it also can go the other way. I have a client who gets her psychotropic medication injected instead of at her mental health clinic, she goes to her local supermarket where they have a nurse practitioner that comes in once a, once a week. So, and that has actually saved her money um, because she's just paying the copay for the medication and she doesn't have to pay anything to the uh, mental health clinic. So there's, there's lots of different caveats. It's just figuring them out. Zoom room questions, Tori. Kathy, can you talk to us? I brought Ninetta in, so we're here. And uh, my question was about uh, Medicare original versus the Advantage. Mm-hmm. And I belong to an organization for retirees. And they're very much against the Advantage plan in the sense of a, a long term that it gives preference to private insurance and 
Maybe in the short term, it seems like a good option, or maybe it's all a person can afford. But in the long term, they feel like they're trying to um, privatize Medicare, and that won't be a good thing for seniors. There are definitely pros and cons. And, you know, what I tell my clients is research it. We'll go through it together. We'll talk about the long range plans, you know, and one of the big uncertainties is, okay, so you're on a Part C provider in 2022 and next year that Part C provider no longer serves your zip code. So what do you do? You have to, you go back to original Medicare or you have to choose a new provider. Um, you know, it's, it's a real tough choice. And I have seen it both ways. When I was in New York, there were private insurers pulling out of New York State left and right because of the restrictions put on them by the state insurance requirements. Um, and in other places, you know, the part you get really good coverage through the Part C providers. It's not a cut and dry answer. It's an option. I mean, if you if you think about it, if somebody has a lot of medical needs and they're going to be paying 20% over and over and over again, every time they go to the doctor for every little thing that the doctor does to them, a Part C provider may be a better option where, you know, they go to a specialist and they know they have a $40 copay instead of, you know, okay, well, Medicare paid $1,000 and now I have to pay 20% of that. <laughs> so, you know, there's no, there's no right or wrong answer. It's, there's definitely multiple sides to the coin. I used to hate Part C providers. I have to tell clients about them. But over the years, I think some of the coverage really has changed to benefit people. It's very much a personal choice and what somebody can afford financially. Kitty, go ahead. Hi, um, I have, Lori, I have a couple questions for you. One is, um, as a federal employee, I am covered by their insurance, and I understand that I can keep it um, as long as I don't ever drop it. If I drop it, I can't ever get it back. Right. But, um, what I'm wondering is with that federal insurance coverage, do I really have to ever take Medicare? The only people that I am aware of, and I'd really have to check this. The only people that I'm aware of that have to take Medicare are veteran or retired military and active um, military um, under TRICARE. They have to take Medicare when they become eligible. I don't know the answer and I'm totally okay saying that, but I'm willing to find out for you. Okay. And then my second question is if I discover that I absolutely have to take it, am I correct that I would, I would meet my obligation if I took a part C versus original Medicare yes. and somehow put the two of them together? Yes. Thank you. I'll still get back to you on my other issues. Sure. Yeah. Any other Zoom questions out there? Yep. Anicio. Ten minutes left. Anicio, our board members, 
Oh, hey, Jeff, and hello to everybody. Omaha, wish you I was there. Laurie from uh, former New Yorker to another. Uh, how are you? I have to I'm tell you, you don't know this, Anisio, but I did my VRT internship at the VRC. Wow, you did? I wow. did. And your name came up a lot. But go ahead. <laughs> so, just a comment and a, a, a question regarding a comment regarding the Part C, Part C uh, Advantage Medicare programs. I mean, there must be a lot of money available there for for um, these insurance companies because yes. I had a I had a Part C Medicare program Advantage program last year, and it, and I was I was pretty happy with it. It was with the United Healthcare. It was a five star. And then I got into another one this year that is very similar, another company, also five stars. I don't know exactly what that means, if, it's, if it really means anything. But um, in, besides just really very uh, slightly increasing my annual deductible, if I went to the hospital or whatever, the, um, they give you money back on a monthly basis, like $80 off your, uh, your, after your, off your premium. So... Like I said, there must be a lot of money there. But my question was, for some reason, since I've been, in, uh, since I enrolled in Medicare and, and, and I only noticed really a few months later, honestly, I've been charged $10.50 a month. And uh, so I, I kept, you know, I paid it after a while. And, you know, I mean, I, I, I really procrastinated. But then when I finally got through to my old insurance company, they told me that's because According to Medicare, there was a period in my during my employment history where I did not have Part C or uh, um, drug coverage, which is ridiculous because I never had a gap in, in employment or insurance for that matter. Yeah, and it should only be while you were on Medicare. It shouldn't. Well, before it was before even I. Um, yeah, see well, that it might have been after I turned sixty five, but I worked until sixty nine, so. You know what I mean? It might have been. Uh -huh. So but, like if you if you could go back and get letters showing you had equal coverage, you definitely could appeal that the um, the penalty for what they call if you go more than 62 days, I think it is without mm -hmm. prescription coverage. Um, you know, there is a penalty um, if you for like Medicare, if you take Medicare out with a for 12 months with no uh equal coverage it's a 10 percent penalty that you pay so it's quite a bit um yeah. you know and that could definitely be what it is um you know so i have to go back and can i it, it can i i don't want to take too much time but can i is that a room for another question or is a lot of people waiting we have got a couple of us waiting and we're almost out of time. Okay, no problem. All right, thanks, Laurie. Appreciate it. Thank you. Okay, do we have, we've, we've had a few now off on Zoom. Do we have any in the room before I go back to Zoom? Question. I want to know how the organization I have retirement with got around all the zip codes. It is a state uh, retirement plan and everybody who worked there, no matter where they live now, is covered. How do they get around that zip code requirement? So this is private insurance. That's that's state coverage. That's not Medicare. It is a Medicare plan through the state teachers retirement system state. And um, hmm. I, I don't people live all over the place, no matter where they live. They're covered. right. 
I see what you're saying. Um, I'm not sure that's definitely something that would have to be explored. The, the zip code that I referenced, that was more for Part C providers. Um, and it, it could be that because it was part of the state retirement system. Okay. I mean, there's, there's all different aspects that come into play when there's a union involved and, and things like that. Okay. We have just probably time for one or two more. Do we have a Zoom question? We do. Janine, go ahead. I have a question. So I see a neurologist and I have Medicare. And for a while I was paying, uh, let's just say, well, we're not going to say how much I paid to see him. He's very, very expensive. And I was paying and then I got Medicare because I had to be disabled for X amount of time before I could have Medicare because I haven't been blind for very long. So now I have Medicare and now they said, oh, well, you have a deductible. I was like, okay, I have a deductible. So I don't understand, but my deductible was only 10% of what I have to pay him normally if I was writing him a check. So then what's the point of Medicare and Social Security taking Medicare from my social security, if they're not even going to pay for my neurologist that I have to pay for it. Like it's not it, worth saving. Yeah, it, it, could be that, it could be that your neurologist does not accept Medicare as payment he does. in full. He does. does he, he does. accept it in full though? He does. It, it was the same for my oncologist. So I don't understand the deductible thing. So with, an annual... Like, like an annual deductible is an amount mm -hmm. that you are required annually to pay by Medicare before they cover something. For each doctor, like for each doctor no. or for total? No, it's, it starts at the beginning of the year. So mm -hmm. like, say you go to the doctor in January and mm -hmm. the deductible is $250. You might pay that doctor 250 and say the annual total deductible is 300. So you might pay that doctor 250. The doctor you saw in February, you might pay 50. And then you've met your annual deductible. And then that's when you pay the 20%, assuming that you have Part B coverage. Okay, no, I, I just have the one. Okay, cool. That's my question. I was just thinking, is it for each doctor? Because each doctor I was having to pay. And I was like, what is the point of this? I should just go back to private because it's not saving me anything. Okay, cool. Thank you so much. Well, I want to quickly remind folks um, that we have two more offerings on uh, Monday at 4 p.m. We are going to have a discussion on Medicaid advocacy. Christine Hunsinger and myself will sort of uh, kick it off. And then Tuesday, in conjunction with ACB Women, we have two panels, one on experts and one of, of our members, um, beginning at 2.30 and then the second one at 4 o'clock. And so uh, we encourage folks uh, here and over in Zoom and ACB Media World to listen to those sessions. So I want to thank you very much. And I want to thank Tori and I want to thank Ed for running the mic and everyone for being here. And I certainly want to thank Lori and